Welcome in to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. I am back after a quick weekend away. It was Easter weekend, and I got the opportunity to go home and celebrate with my family. Though somehow I have less energy this weekend than the four-hour drive back and forth in one weekend that I took. Uh, because last night I made an incredibly misguided decision to go watch uh, Avengers Endgame and then have a one-hour turnaround from that to uh, the Battle of Winterfell. And I don't know how I have any energy to do this podcast whatsoever, but it is an absolute miracle that I was able to roll out of bed at the time that I did this morning. Uh, I'm joined as almost always, with the exception of last week, by my brother-in-arms for this uh, Chuck Smith. Chuck, how are you doing today? Jake, uh, everything's good on my end. Would be feeling a little bit better had Byron uh, not wasted an opportunity there, but all good with me. Well, that's good. All right, so we'll go ahead and actually easily transition into After 90 Minutes, which is our segment where we look back at the games that Byron played over the last week or the weekend and analyze how they did. So we're going to start off by talking about the Pakal game that was played earlier this week, which is why this is titled the way it is, because this was Werder Bremen Part 2. It was a 3-2 win to see the Bavarians go back to the Pokal Finals, but they did it in a questionable manner, which we can get into later, Um, but Bremen scored twice within the matter of a minute. Uh, in the 74th and the 75th to tie it at two before a Robert Lewandowski penalty in the 80th minute uh, secured the title, or not the title, but going back to fight for the title for the Bavarians. I was unable to watch this, but uh, Chuck, looking back on it, how do you think uh, this game panned out? Well, I mean, it was it was obviously an up and down affair from a Bayern perspective. Uh, you had the the highs of jumping out to a lead to the lows of losing it. Right back to the excitement of getting that winning goal. So uh, there was some controversy there. Uh, obviously, with Bayern, uh, not everything has has really went well of late. But I think this is one of those periods where. They're just suffering a little bit of a lull, and they'll regroup and and really, I think, um, you know, be able to make a strong finish here as they focus on a, a couple of key games coming up. It's really crucial for them to go ahead and kind of shake this bit of an erratic performance off of their backs and while they weren't able to go ahead and do that this weekend they might be able to do that for the future cup ties uh that 75th minute goal from Milo Rashika was incredible I'm just watching the replay of it right now and he just takes the kickoff and they run down the field Bayern's defense looks absolutely abysmal someone falls over and then he just slots it and completely beats Neuer uh what did you think of that goal well it it was a phenomenal effort by Rashika and he has been excellent all season for Werder Bremen I mean in a way this 
the effort from Berta really did typify what they've been like all season. They've been tough. They've been rugged. They've never given up. And they constantly have fought. And to see them come back, it wasn't shocking. I mean, the manner in which it happened really was surprising because it happened so suddenly. But, I mean, anybody that's watched Werder Bremen over the course of even going back to the second half of last season, you could see that there's something there. There's something they're building toward. And there's a fight within them. And it really, it, it struck Byron quickly. And it really, I thought, I mean, at that point, it looked like Byron might not be able to recover. So we have to talk about this. We have to talk about the penalty decision that led to the game-winning goal for Bayern Munich. Uh, for those that haven't seen it, uh, Kingsley Coman cuts in from the left. There's a little bit of contact. Coman goes down. The referee awards a penalty. Lewandowski converts it, and that is the game-winning goal that puts Bayern Munich into the final Looking at it, I think, I personally think it's a penalty. Uh, I think it's soft. I think that uh, Coleman goes down a little easy, but I think that's more of awareness from him than failure to see everything by the referee. Uh, Chuck, what do you think of this? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I thought it was a penalty. I could also see why Werder Bremen and their fans would would think it was not. I think the first uh, the first contact that was made, I think, would have been let go. But it was that extra second bit of contact, that little shove there, which Coman, to his credit, uh, sees the opportunity and went down. And I think that's what forced the referee's hand there. It also kind of, I think, it made it difficult for the VAR official to look at and really and really overturn it. That second piece of contact is really what sold it for me. But again, if I'm a Werder Bremen fan or if I'm on that team, I'm irate right now. And I think of it as a lost opportunity. But, you know, Florian Kohfeldt, he handled it really with a lot of class. And, you know, he was right. You know, had things went differently and had his team played a little better, they wouldn't have been in that spot. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. Though the reason, I guess the one reason why we're really talking about this is because in the aftermath of it, there was one writer, I forget the name and I forget the publication that he wrote for, but went on at length about how this always happens to Bayern and how he hates Bayern Munich as a German soccer fan, but forgot why he hated Bayern Munich until... They got that call, and they won the game from that. Uh, I can understand that Bayern Munich does have a long history of getting favorable calls, and that's kind of part of the lore of the club, um, just as much as Fergie time is a lore of Manchester United. But looking at that, like I don't understand exactly why someone would be overly... I rate about that call specifically. I think that if there's contact in the box and someone goes down, I think it's a penalty. I don't think that you should blame the referee for it because it was there. It's not like he fell down on his own accord. It was a penalty to me as clear as day. But I don't know, Chuck. what What do you think? Do you think that... Uh, people that are kind of just upset about the penalty should just move on? Or do you think that they kind of have a point? 
No, I, I do think they have a point. And it's it's one of those unfortunate areas in soccer where, you know, what is a handball? It's the same kind of thing. How much contact is too much contact? You know, when is it when is someone taking a dive versus when are they legitimately being pushed down? And really, you'll never come to, <laughs> you know, a great conclusion on this because you, you're generally going to have one set of fans that will always say it's a penalty and another set that will say it wasn't. Um, you know, from an outside perspective, we can all look at it and make our own assessment. But in the end, the referee made the call and, and that's how it goes. I mean, how many times have things worked against Bayern, particularly, particularly in the Champions League? So I think those kind of things, you know, they kind of go in cycles right now. Bayern may have benefited from one, um, but, you know, in the Champions League in the past, didn't really work out for Bayern. So I, I think that, you know, in the end, you know, when the Bundesliga officials go to look at things and this will probably be a play that they look at in the postseason and say, we need to make a determination you know, what is too much contact? You know, how easily should someone go down? And this will probably be something that they examine closely. I agree. I just, I, I don't know. I think, I think if, uh, I think just by looking at it, you can't exactly determine how much, uh, force or how much contact that there was because there's also the whole momentum and inertia question and like how fast was he running and at that point you have to start breaking out like your slide rules and calculators to try to determine like what times what equals what in order to determine a penalty and then I think for people that already are kind of angry about VAR I think that kind of just takes it an extra step a little too far once you get mathematics into determining penalties and things like that yeah no doubt no doubt about that jake so moving on from the lackluster i would i would i would call it a lackluster performance when wouldn't you agree yeah yeah i absolutely would it it was it was not byron's best effort i mean they did have some some great moments for sure and there were some very good and positive qualities to the game but it, it definitely was not their best effort so going from that with an opportunity to go ahead and pick up the pieces and move on, they were also gifted this wonderful opportunity after Borussia Dortmund lost 3-1 to Schalke, giving Bayern Munich the clear go-ahead in the title race. They're facing a relegation-bound Nuremberg in a Bavarian derby match, and they blow it. They blow the opportunity. They lose, or excuse me, they draw 1-1. They could have lost uh, 2-1 if uh, not for the goalposts uh, saving a penalty for Nuremberg in the 90th plus one minute. It's kind of disappointing because... You could have clearly gone ahead, and Nuremberg is not a team that is very good whatsoever. Uh, I believe even in last week's podcast that you mentioned that the only problem that you foresee for this Nuremberg match is that Bayern tends to drop their expectations against lower-level opponents, and that's exactly what they did here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I it's funny because as I looked at the game, Everything about it 
really struck me is this game goes one of two ways. Either Bayern just blows the door off of Nuremberg or this becomes just a brutal struggle. And unfortunately for Bayern, it was a struggle from start to finish. I I tended to lean when I looked at the game to make my prediction. I just thought Bayern had hit that point in the season where they were past having these types of lulls that they were on the path toward just finishing strong and ripping through the rest of the league. But obviously, as Nuremberg showed, this is, uh, you know, Bayern still has some weaknesses. They're still susceptible to looking past teams. And, you know, it's definitely something that Niko Kovac struggled with in the first half. And, you know, if he can't find a way to refocus the team, they're in for a tough stretch. And, and you know, with with Borussia Dortmund so close, I just don't think that Bayern has any more room for error. This was it. It, it really was. And especially with a similar situation this weekend coming up against last place Hanover, you can't drop these points. Now, I guess the question is who has the bigger opportunity to slip up, up ahead? And it's not really clear to see who that would be right between Bayern and Borussia Dortmund. They have three games apiece left in the league. Bayern plays Hanover, like we mentioned, then follows that up with a uh, trip to Leipzig and then finishes at home against uh, Niko Kovac's former club in Eintracht Frankfurt. Uh, Dortmund, meanwhile, has to play away to Werder Bremen, who as we know, can give some clubs fits. Then they play Fortuna Dusseldorf, and then they finish the season away to Borussia Mönchengladbach. Now, another major thing to keep in mind, that Werder Bremen game, they will be playing without Marco Royce as he got red-carded in the Revere Derby this weekend. Uh, Chuck, who do you think manages to claw their way out on top of the league? Oh, Ultimately, I think Bayern wins the league, but it, it's not going to be easy. I mean, the one thing that Bayern does have going for it right now is that, you know, when you look at Hanover, they've been terrible. So it, should Bayern be able to maintain their focus and just rely on their talent and depth, they should be able to get by Hanover. Um, you know, when you skip to the last game, I tracked Frankfurt. They're pretty tired at this point in the season. They're a young team who hasn't quite had to play this many games. So I think despite you know the fact that they have a ton of talent, and, and I love the way that Frankfurt plays, I think that Kovac has so much inherent knowledge of that roster and how to play against them that Bayern has a bit of an advantage there. The game that really scares me is that middle game against Leipzig. That is a team with a lot to prove. They are an angry team. They play angry. They are pacey. They have a lot of skill, and I don't think they fear Bayern at all. Um, and it's it's one of those things where you look at, they have the type of players that if Bayern lets down for a bit, they have the type of players that can turn it around. Between Timo Werner, Yusuf Poulsen, Emil Forsberg, they can string together some offense. And if Bayern gets lulled into thinking that they can just walk through Leipzig, they could be in for a long afternoon. I agree. I think that we might be in for a German version of the final day because I don't see any way that 
unless Dortmund drops their game against Bremen this weekend and then loses to Dusseldorf, I don't see any situation where this this title race isn't solved before match day, what, 38? I think it's match day 38. But even looking at this Leipzig roster a little closer, if we can, uh, they got Lucas Klosterman, they've got Kevin Campbell, as you mentioned, Yusef Polson, Emil Forsberg, uh, Timo Werner. That screams a team that is experienced, and especially because a lot of them have World Cup experience as well. Uh, I think that Leipzig squad is going to have... Uh, is going to cause fits for Bayern Munich, and especially because they have to play them twice, given that the Pokal final is against Leipzig uh, at the end of this month. So looking at this Nuremberg game, what do you think are some lessons that Bayern can learn from it? I think the biggest thing is just focus. And that's something you really shouldn't even probably have to worry about with a a veteran team like Bayern. But even with some of the things that have come out after the game, uh, for instance, the substitutes not warming up correctly, um, that seemed to infuriate Niko Kovac. And, you know, the the team overall on the field wasn't sharp. They didn't play uh, with the type of aggression and precision that we're normally used to seeing. Uh, and I attribute that to a lack of focus. I mean, they did have some grinding games. Nothing against Werder Bremen was easy. Those were two difficult contests. But when you look at Nuremberg, this should not have been a 1-1 game. This should not have been a 3-1 game. This should have been a 5-0 game. Um, just talent-wise, Nuremberg does not have anywhere near the depth that Bayern does. And the fact that it it was a 1-1 draw should be enough of a wake-up call to ensure that Bayern can go through and approach each game correctly throughout the rest of the season. There's just one more thing that I want to bring up before we move on to our next segment. Uh, I saw this the other day uh, after Bayern Munich posted their picture of the mint kits before they went out. Uh, Someone said, don't ever wear the mint kits again because nothing good ever happens. And that led me to go back and just generally look at every result that Bayern Munich has had in the mint kits. There are four wins, three draws, two losses. The first ever time Bayern wore it was the the Pokal match against Drachterson Assel, which they only won 1-0 in a game that most people look back and say was or a red flag for uh, for how the season could have gone. There were three wins in a row against Mainz, Benfica, and Hanover after the second time that they wore it, which was a loss to Hertha. But the last four fixtures that Bayern Munich has won the mint kit were a 3-1 loss to Leverkusen, the first leg of the Champions League, which was a nil-nil draw at Anfield, the 1-1 draw to Freiburg, and this most recent 1-1 draw to Nuremberg. So I'm not about to declare it real, but I'm going to declare it real. I think the mint kit curse is very real, and I don't want Byron to ever wear this kit ever again. Other than the fact that it is absolutely ugly, it's not going to be what we need going into these last three games of the season. 
Yeah, uh, instead of a Kovac, hashtag Kovac out, it should definitely be hashtag Mint out. I think that's, we're all in agreement on that. It's a, it's a bad kit. Uh, it just needs to get out of here as soon as humanly possible. Uh, so with that, I know we went a little long on this one, uh, but we are going to go ahead and move on to our next segment. Welcome back. So after looking back at the previous two games, we look forward to the very next game in our segment, Dare Ausblick, which is the outlook at who we play next, and we play Hanover. Uh, I don't know if there's anything positive we can say about Hanover. They are an absolutely god-awful team, and if Bayern doesn't pick up all three points against them this weekend, I'm going to be livid. I'm going to be absolutely shocked, especially considering how much uh, Dortmund struggled against Schalke this weekend. Uh, Quick statistical blitz. Um, Their top scorer is Hendrik Weidant, who has five goals all season. Five goals. And he's tied for 39th. At that point, there are other teams with multiple scores that are ahead of Hanover's top score. Uh, assists leader is Ilhas Bebo. I apologize for that one. With three assists all year. A stunning three assists. Tied with a whole bunch of other people at 56th in the league. Shots is wide on again. He's 26th, so that's a little bit better with 53. They have 56 yellow cards, tied for 5th with Hertha. 7th most fouls in the league. 3rd most in duels won. 12th most in sprints. 13th most in crosses. And then 2nd from the bottom in goals and shots. Chuck, can you find anything positive to say about Hanover? Uh, well, they do have two Americans on their team. That, that That's about it. I mean, it has been an abysmal season for Hanover on every level. Um, they've struggled with injuries. They have been just terrible um, in nearly every game. I mean, even if you look at their recent performances, I mean, go back to November. They've played 21 games in the league since November and have only managed two wins and three draws. I mean, it's... It's really not been a good season for them, to say the least. Uh, one of the big factors, I think, is the loss of Nicholas Fulkrug. Uh, he has been injured for most of the season. He really was the heart and soul of their offense last year. And last year was a good season for them. I mean, they were very competitive. They were a tough out for a lot of Bundesliga teams. But this year, nothing has clicked. Uh, they have not been able to find consistency on either side of the field their defense has been quite awful. Their offense is really punchless. Uh, they just haven't been able to do anything. Uh, I thought when Bobby Wood moved over, he would be able to help out and relieve some of the pressure on Full Krug, but that just didn't work out. Um, Wood has not been as good as I think Hanover would have liked him to be, and with Full Krug out of the lineup, um, you know, it, it just hasn't clicked. Uh, the other American that that Hanover has is Sebastian Soto, who is a young player, and he's starting to get some some token minutes here and there. But uh, neither American has really made an impact so far this season for Hanover, and they are just destined for relegation. There's no hope. Uh, Bobby Wood, by the way, has only three goals in the season, 
and he's tied with Jonathan Ta. So if that just doesn't go ahead and tell you how bad this season has been for uh, for Hanover, then I don't know what will convince you. Um, they just really don't seem to have anything together. Uh, is there is there anything? positive for them they're 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 clearly destined to go to relegation um is there anything that they could maybe look forward to no i i think this is the point of the season where the roster has given up uh there's a this is a point of no return for them when you compare this year to to last year you could see that Hanover was extremely competitive even the games that they lost there was a fighting spirit about them and it's just been absent this year. And right now, they've gotten to a point in the season where I think the roster, they know that this this is not going to end well. They know that they're headed down. They know that they're going to be relegated. And I think that the front office is is also kind of evaluating things. And I'm not sure that they even know what to do. I mean, even this week, we saw you know Nicholas Fulkrug, who is their best player, even though he's been injured. He's going back to Werder Bremen in the summer. So they have a lot of work to do. I just think overall they they look and feel defeated as a team, and there is no way out. I mean, this game could be really ugly against Bayern. Uh, so I guess with that, what are your uh, final score predictions? My final score prediction for this one, I don't even know if they get a goal. Uh, I'm going to say 4 nothing. I think that might be a good place to start. What about you? I'm going to go 5 nothing. I, I think this is a game where Bayern starts to tee off. The only thing that will be interesting is to see how many buses Hanover can park in their own end. Uh, it's just there. there's no way for them to stay competitive with Bayern, with Bayern in this one. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So for that exact reason, because we have absolutely nothing more to talk about, we are going to go ahead and move on. We'll be right back after this message. Welcome back, and now we are very happy to debut our new segment, which we like to call Ask BPW, where you, the fans, submit your questions on Twitter, and we think them over and give a response to them. So our two questions today come from the same account, at fear underscore Bavaria, um, the first one that we would like to discuss is, do you think that Niko Kovac could take Bayern Munich to the top of Europe in three to five years if given the right players? Uh, I think that's a good question. I personally don't know uh, because I think that if the question given the right players kind of involves the idea that Bayern doesn't have the best players right now, which is in some cases true. Um, But if we consider three to five years, right, let's consider everyone that we would have to replace at that point. You probably would have to replace uh, Lewandowski by that point. You would definitely probably need to replace Muller by that point. Uh, if Coman hasn't panned out, maybe him as well. The entire back line might need to be overhauled if David Alaba and Joshua Kimmich are uh, 
sent away anywhere. By that point, I think Tiago would be in the earlier part of his mid-30s, so you'd need to completely replace the midfield. And uh, I love Manuel Neuer. I don't know if he will last another three to five years. Uh, So the reason why I bring all of that up is because the question, given the right players, will require a lot of money from the Bayern Munich board. And seeing as they're already set to spend $200 million this summer, uh, I don't know if a couple more years of that kind of spending is something that this board is either willing to do or capable of doing. Um, I think that if he was given the right players, then yes. But again, like I mentioned, those right players, quote-unquote, would require a lot of money from the board. Uh, Chuck, what do you think about that? I mean, I, I, I'm on the, the side of the fence that thinks that Nico Kovac can do it. Uh, I think that right now where the roster is, uh, they have a mix of veterans, uh, mid-level career players, and young players that gives the team some good balance. And I think the further development of players like Kingsley Coman, Serge Gnabry, uh, Joshua Kimmich, Nicholas Sula, when those players, as those players gain more experience, um, they're going to go from being the younger players on the roster to the leaders on the roster. Um, That's not to say that Thomas Mueller or Robert Lewandowski are going anywhere anytime soon, nor Tiago. Um, it's just that I think that those players right now represent a quality mix. And if you want to look two to three years down the road, sure, those players are then extremely, you know, they're, they're toward the end of their career. And, you know, the players like Kimmich and Coman and Gnabry, they're in the middle of their career. It's, it's how Bayern can now work and get some talented young players into the mix um, can they develop them from their youth ranks, or do they need to go out and buy players? And I think that over the next two off seasons, you're really going to see Bayern try and complement its current roster pieces that it plans on keeping, with maybe a couple of veterans, but some young players. And you know, financially, I know there are some concerns, but I think we'd all be silly not to look at a year or two down the road with Kai Havertz, and not to think that. You know, just to to see that Byron clearly is going to make a play on him, and he will be expensive. And I think that he's a player that would represent, you know, a young player capable of helping push a veteran team over the top at that point. I agree, and I think another thing that we need to probably look at is maybe a different reimagining of the question. Uh, in less, right, so the question again, do you think Kovac can take Bayern to the top in three to five years? Um, I think maybe instead of one way of looking at it with do you think the players are good enough, another way of looking at it could be do you think Niko Kovac is good enough? And I think the potential of Niko Kovac is a very interesting subject. I don't think that... uh, I at least don't think that I could make a good assumption of where Niko Kovac would be in the next three to five years because he's never really been at this level before, right? He coached with the Croatian national team and then went to Frankfurt, right? He's only won the Pokal before, so 
it's hard to go ahead and compare him to a manager like Yopinkis or Pep Guardiola or Carlo Ancelotti even because they've all won at higher levels than Niko Kovac has. So I don't think it's fair to go ahead and ask that question for right now. Uh, if a manager comes forward saying that they want to work at Bayern Munich, uh, who is a high-quality manager whose name is not Jose Mourinho, I think that Bayern Munich should look into every single opportunity to try to bring them forward. The name that I've been hearing a lot recently is Antonio Conte, and I don't know if Antonio Conte would be a phenomenal fit at Bayern Munich. I think Conte is very specific in his uh, in his setup and his lineup, and as much as I don't love the way that Bayern Munich is currently set up right now. Uh, I don't know if his way of doing it would be much better. And I think he would bump heads a lot with the board who still would want to rely on the 2013 way of playing things, regardless of how reasonable that may be or not. Uh, What do you think about bringing in a manager kind of like Conte who's had some success but not necessarily on the European level or Chuck do you think that Kovac alone with his managerial experience would be able to take Bayern Munich up ahead I do I do I'm willing to give Kovac three years Uh, I like that he has an evolved idea of what training should be. He's got a firm commitment to the nutrition and physical well-being of his players. Uh, Those are some things about Kovac that I don't think really get enough play. I mean, we saw the difference uh, with Carlo Ancelotti, with the way that he handled things. You know, when his strength and conditioning coach um, didn't exactly have a firm commitment to helping the players get stronger or faster or to stay fit. Um, Kovac believes in that. It's a lifestyle for him, even down to measuring the temperature of the water that the players drink. So I, I believe he's got some things going for him that are going to help him. What he needs is a little more experience working with this roster. I know there, there's a lot of talk about getting rid of him after this year, and I, I do think it's premature. I would make a three-year commitment to Kovac, try and empower him with the right players, and see what happens. I think you know he's got good ideas with how to handle this roster. He, he is a he is a coach that likes players who are versatile. He likes being able to to deploy them in different areas. And I think that with some of the players that he has, he's got a good foundation that if he can continue to work with for another two to three years, I think we could be at the top of Europe again, and, and we could see Bayern achieve those levels that we all think that they should be at. Agreed. Uh, Moving on to the next question, which I think is fun. Uh, You and I get to play a little uh, FIFA career mode right here with this question. Uh, Should fan favorites such as Lewandowski, Coman, and Kimmich all go without alternates? Uh, Coman seems too inconsistent and wasteful to be a starter. Would you have him as one? Uh, I guess we could quickly tackle that one. Uh, I think... For now, Coman is a starter because he's healthier than uh, Frank Ribéry, but I think that this summer could easily change that, uh, Chuck. What's your thoughts on Coman starting? 
I, I right now Coman is definitely the starter. There are flaws to his game. At times he holds on to the ball too long. He can play a little bit selfish, but at this level I think, you know, every player is a little bit selfish and I think there's enough good quality within his game that he could be a long-term starter with Bayern. So, moving on more specifically towards the should they go without alternates, uh I don't think that they should go without alternates because I think that if one player is specifically out of form, then it would be nice to have another one quickly there to back him up. So with that being said, uh, going on the assumption that we do not need a backup right back uh, and having Kimmich being seen as a central defensive midfielder is the way that we have decided to go ahead and analyze this. Uh, who would be our backups for Lewandowski, Coman, and a CDM, Joshua Kimmich? My three would be, for Lewandowski, I would have Luka Jovic back him up just because he has a good nose for goal, and unlike Bayern's current mentality of just whip it into the middle and hopefully Lewandowski can get ahead on it or maybe there will be like a scramble for the ball and someone would be there. Jovic is talented with the ball at his feet and in the middle of the box, so I think that he would be a good replacement in multiple situations that maybe Lewandowski can't always excel at. Uh, My replacement for Coman would be Ante Rebic, just because that connection between him and Kovac works very well. Rebic is good uh, pacey on the wing, and in the middle as well, he's a good clinical finisher, and I think that right now, maybe a finisher from the wings is someone that Bayern needs. I really do miss that Aryan Robin cutting in from the right to the left and whipping in a curled shot from the top of the box. Maybe we need that going the opposite way. Maybe we need someone who isn't just going to run it down and not whip it into Lewandowski and then as a result of them not passing it to Lewandowski enough, they have a massive fight in the middle of the training ground. Uh, and then my replacement for Kimmich in the central defensive midfield, uh, I know I'm an American and this will make me sound like a homer, but Weston McKenney, uh, he's really good at Schalke. To me, at least, he's one of Schalke's five best players on the field at any point in time. Uh, you bring in an American market with him, as well. Uh, McKenney personally, is one of my favorite players on the U.S. men's national team right now. Uh, he is adapting to the Bundesliga game pretty well and breaking into the first team really easily. So I think that with a little bit of time, maybe we could see Weston McKenney going towards a bigger Bundesliga club, and maybe that club could be Bayern Munich. So uh, specifically to that question, those would be my three replacements that I would bring in for them this summer. Not saying they need to be replaced, but if I were to bring in replacements, those would probably be who they were. Chuck, uh, go ahead and give me your three that you would replace uh, Lewandowski, Kalman, and Kimmich with. Yeah, this is a. It was a very interesting question, and and personally, I, I wouldn't replace any of the three. But if I was going to look at uh, players to bring in, uh, first and foremost, uh, Timo Werner would be one who I think could help fill the bill um, at striker and on the wing. I think he's versatile enough. He's got 
tremendous speed. Uh, he's a great finisher. So I think that he's a player that when you look at, he could be that versatile type of athlete that Niko Kovac likes to deploy, and he could use him in different ways. Um, if I was going to strictly look at a wing, uh, I'll take you know Kai Havertz and his versatile play as an attacking midfielder or a right winger out of the mix. I would look at two options. Uh, first would be uh, Federico Chiesa, who I think has been on Bayern's radar of late. Uh, he has, obviously, one of the reports has put Bayern making a $70 million uh, euro offer on him. So I think that when you look at him, he's got tremendous pace, tremendous skill. Uh, he is a bit slight at 5'9", 154 pounds for Fiorentina. But I think he would be an interesting name. And if I was going to look to go bargain basement, I would also consider Julian Brandt, who is allegedly available for 25 million uh, to 30 million euros. So I think that that those will all be good options. And I know that people look at Brandt and they don't think that he's the type of winger that could succeed at Bayern. But I think he's got a good vision I think for the game. I think that he could get balls into the box and also provide some attacking from the wing as well, along with being a versatile option. As far as a central defensive midfielder goes, I love the play of, of Hoffenheim's Florian Grilich. I think he is tough, hard-nosed, I think he's he's a, got a lot of good offensive quality to him in terms of passing the ball and setting other players up. But more importantly, I just love the toughness he brings uh, defensively. And I think that if you had to go that way, he would be a, a player you could probably get on the cheap and would be able to provide you with a physical presence. I think those are all really, really good answers to that question. And I think that many fans out there would probably uh, want to put their own three replacements up there. So if you want to put your three replacements out there, let us know. And if you have a question for us that you would like to see uh, read out on an air in the next podcast, then be sure to tweet us using the hashtag AskBPW, and maybe if your question is good enough, we will be able to read it on air. So with that, we are going to move on. Welcome back. Now, there's just one last thing that we'd like to talk about before we go, and it concerns the two big signings coming to Bayern Munich this summer. Anyone who follows Bayern Munich can clearly see that the back line has some work to do, with Rafinha looking to leave this summer, and both Hummels and Boateng looking less than what they used to be, Bayern knew they had to replace two big forces in the league. With the wings generally set, with Kimmich and Alaba, they went out and bought two good French defenders in Benjamin Pavard and Lucas Hernandez. One of them set the record for the highest fee in Bundesliga history for a defender when Hernandez came from Atletico Madrid for 80 million euros, while Pavard was just purchased for under 40 million. Now, you may be listening and asking yourselves where I'm going with this. I'm not about to bash either Hernandez or Pavard. If anything, I'm about to bash the Bayern board, because while I do enjoy both players, I don't blame them for setting their own values. 
To me, spending $80 million on a defender that doesn't have the last name of Van Dyke is ridiculous, and the statistics back me up on this. Using who scored, I compared Pavard and Hernandez in their respective 2017-18 league seasons due to Hernandez's injuries this season, which is an issue in and of itself. In that season, Pavard got 10 more appearances than Hernandez, which makes some sense given Atleti's defensive depth. Hernandez averaged more tackles with 3.4 per game to Pavard's 1.6 per game, and had an average rating of 7.24 compared to Pavard's 7.10, which may be impacted by the fact that Pavard played about 10 more games than him. However, Pavard averaged more interceptions, fouls, clearances, and blocks than Hernandez, while also averaging less dribbles passed. One could say this is because Pavard faces lesser competition, but for every Real Madrid and Barcelona that Lucas Hernandez faced, he also had to deal with his fair share of Espanos, Mallorcas, and Ibars. It would be unfair to compare their current seasons because of the injury, but I feel I have a valid point here. The Bayern board just paid $80 million for a versatile wingback who also has a bad history and is comparatively worse than a man who costs half what he did. And here's the other catch. 2017-18 was Hernandez's best season. He got the most playing time during that campaign and won a World Cup that summer. But even his best production wasn't always better than his fellow countrymen. Now, if we really want to drive the point home, we can further compare him to a man who I actually believe is about 80 million, young Dutch center back Matthias Delight, who has blossomed to one of the best players in Europe. Again, I compared the two in their best league seasons yet, which would be this season for Delight and last season for Hernandez. Hernandez again won tackles with 3.4 to 1.1 and took interceptions by a score of 1.5 to 1.2, which is slightly closer. Keep in mind, though, that that may change by the end of this season because for every other statistical category, Delight is better. He crushes Hernandez in fouls, forced offsides, clearances, dribbles, blocks, and even match rating. While both players have a similar value according to Transfermark, Delight has the advantage in another key area, injury. Yes, Hernandez has an extra four years on Delight, but Delight has only 21 total days worth of injuries in his professional career. Meanwhile, you would need a calculator to find that Hernandez's knee, hamstring, and back problems have kept him out for 234 days, or 7 months, 3 weeks, and 1 day. Now, Hernandez is a capable de defender, and, I may be, and he may be a better signing than I'm giving him credit for. However, I feel that in their rush to find relief on the defense, the Bayern board may have preemptively signed Hernandez without considering every option at first. They already have De Pavard coming, who by the way beats Delight in every single statistical category except fouls and rating from their best seasons. So in their rush, I feel the board used a large chunk of the money they hoped to use this summer. And for a transfer that calls for 80 million euros, you need the player to be someone who will really make a difference. I hope Hernandez does that, but as of right now, I'm not so optimistic. So that was before we go. Uh, Chuck, what are your thoughts on this? You know, it's it's very interesting in that, you know, the Byron board made this decision to bolster those defensive areas with two very versatile players in Hernandez and Pavard. And while each player does indeed have their respective talents, each 
each comes with a little bit of uncertainty. For Hernandez, like you said, Jake, he, he's had injury issues. I mean, no one could dispute his speed or his talent. I, for one, am very worried about his knee. I know he's had other ailments as well, but that knee really does scare me because to me, at his age, having that many issues um, and sustaining that type of damage from cortisone shots, it does really worry me that he, he could be a player that is constantly week to week uh, in danger of missing games. And as Pavard goes, I mean, like Hernandez, I like his versatility. I like that he could play both center back and outside back. And I think that Nico Kovac also is a big fan of having players with the ability to move around. Pavard has not been good this season. Um, just watching him with, with the eye test, of course, he hasn't been as consistent as you would like to see. And while he does have some extremely great qualities, you would have hoped this season when Stuttgart needed him that he would have risen to the occasion. And to me, he hasn't. Um, and that's been a little bit disappointing. Now, I know that there's not much talent on that team. And honestly, they are... They've been quite horrible for the entirety of the season. And when you're facing relegation like they are, you would hope at that time that a player like Pavard would raise his game. And he has not. And again, I don't want to take away from his talent. I don't want to take away from his ability. But I would have liked to have seen a little bit more out of him. Uh, that said, you know, the signings, I can't fault the board too much for what the vision was. You take fast, young, versatile players to bolster that back line that could provide depth behind both David Alaba and Joshua Kimmich and also have that center back depth with Nicholas Sula. I mean, it does make a lot of sense what they did, but there there is inherent risk with both players. If Pavard cannot regain that consistency that he showed last year and over, over the course of the World Cup, he could be a player that really struggles to get in the lineup. And as for Hernandez, like we talked about, his injury situation is a big concern for me. And if he can't find a way to stay healthy, it could be a bust of a signing. You bring up a couple of really good points. You're very right. Uh, Pavard has not had a good season whatsoever, right? And by all means, players are allowed to have bad seasons. But the thing that I really have a concern with is that Pavard has had more than one good season. Uh, the last two years, he's actually done pretty well for himself, whereas when it comes to Hernandez, he hasn't exactly gotten many appearances or just any run at all. There are a couple of seasons where he has less than 15 appearances, multiple seasons, in fact. I feel that that when you look at this, Hernandez has only had one season where he goes over 20 appearances, and that was the last season. And that was really his only good statistical season. If Pavard was bought for $80 million, I'd probably be making the same argument that Pavard shouldn't cost $80 million. So it's less on me knocking on Hernandez. And I want to make that clear, right? Like, I like Hernandez. I think he's a good player. I think even though he doesn't have a lot of run, I feel that he really has raw talent and he has the potential to blossom. But I think that if Pavard was bought for 80 million euros, I'd be making the same argument because I think that if you really wanted to splash cash on defenders, there may be a couple better ones out there than these two. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. It's hard to dispute the talent that each player has. 
Um, they both have great ability. And when you watch them play, you can see that. But it's all about risk for me. And if, you know, if Pavard cannot regain that form that he was able to show in the past, and if Hernandez can't stay healthy, this could be a, a tough road for Bayern ahead. Um, you know, if they lose Mats Hummels and Jerome Boateng this summer, you're leaving yourself extremely thin at center back. Now, I don't think that will happen. I think at least Hummels will stay. But I do worry about the situation, even with the great talent. I mean, you should be excited. Fans should absolutely be excited about Hernandez. They should be excited about Prevard. These are good players. They're great players, in fact. But each does come with risk. And for me, I, I need to see a little bit more out of them when they get here to prove to me that they can handle being at Bayern week to week, that they can stay healthy and be as consistent as needed. Well, I guess we won't really have to be terribly scared because if all else fails, Lars Lucas Mai still exists and yes. everyone in the Bayern <laughs> family loves Lars Lucas Mai. No one has any problems with him whatsoever. So luckily we have that to fall back on. And you also do have, uh, Jake, we also have the young American Chris Richards waiting in the wings as well. And he has shown some great ability. I know he needs more seasoning, but he's a talent. And, you know, down the road as as Byron progresses and Richards develops, he may be an option that they look at. So I feel that that is a good place to stop, if any. So this has been the fourth episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. So... Like every time, I wanted to thank the audience for listening in because this is still a very young project and we still are developing. And I guess the general goal of starting it when we did was to make sure that we had the format down and that everybody enjoyed that and enjoyed the idea of the podcast. So over the summer, we're going to be spending a lot of time ironing out the kinks and really developing this and getting um, getting everything in terms of on-air talent and music and transitions under control. So now I would like to, uh, for now, we would like to just go ahead and really work on the content, work on our on-air voices and fun things like that. Uh, if you would like to talk to me out on the Twitterverse. You can find me at Jefferson Fenner. Uh, Chuck, what about you? You can find me at the Barrel Blog. Alrighty. So with that, we uh, want to thank you very much. For those that don't follow us on uh, the internet, please check out our blog, BavarianFootballWorks.com. You can also find us on Twitter at BavarianFBWorks, where the next time we do a hashtag AskBPW segment, you can submit your questions and you can be able to possibly get on air for this podcast. So thank you very much for tuning in and for all of us at Bavarian Football Works. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Auf Wiedersehen.